This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. This episode is brought to you by Thorne, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorne is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements, the tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the Products do what they say they're going to do on the label, and then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, 
you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back on the show Sarah Wilkinson. Now, Sarah was first on the podcast on episode 516, where she told her family's powerful story, including the loss of her husband, Navy SEAL Chad Wilkinson, to suicide. Well, since then, we met at the incredible Sandlot Jacks and are sitting down again today for a second conversation and this time focusing more on the widow's journey, the transition after losing a loved one, her own and her children's mental health journey, traveling across the country, psychedelics, and this year's Chad 1000 times. So before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back on the show, Sarah Wilkinson. Enjoy. Well, Sarah, I want to start by saying thank you so much for coming back on the Behind the Shield podcast today. Thanks for having me. We had such a good time last time, and it's good we've connected over this last year, too. Absolutely. Well, obviously, we got to meet face to face. Um, I believe in the last conversation that we had, you had talked about buying a van. I believe that your location where we're talking now has changed. So let's jump into that. Talk to me about buying the van and where we're finding you geographically today. Yeah, so I bought a Sprinter van and had it converted earlier this year into a camper van. It's pretty bomb. And I'll have to send you some photos, I think. But um, I left my house yesterday. I'm in Ohio, kind of middle of nowhere, small town, Ohio, visiting my family. My mom and dad are here. It's my mom's birthday tomorrow. So had a cookout with some relatives yesterday. It's good. But then from here, I'm heading west. So picking up a friend in Chicago. And we're making our way to Montana, uh, spending some time in Montana. I hope to go through Idaho, eventually get to Oregon because I love Oregon so much. And then just go down the coast to California before I find myself in San Diego. That's the plan. We'll see how it all pans out. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, you said your parents live in Mansfield. My wife is from North Canton. We were just there last week. Um, and, uh, last, not this trip, but the trip before we actually went to the prison, which is where, Oh my God, what's that film called? Um, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank, thank you. I'm pretty sure my cousins worked on like the set, maybe serving food or doing something when that movie was filmed. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and they, they have a show. Um, there's a thing called Welcome to Rockville that comes to Florida. And actually, I don't know if I talked, we talked about this when we were there, but Sandlot Jacks, that metropolitan park, that's where this rock concert used to be. And then they move it to Daytona, which is a shame because, I mean, the yeah, Met Park is so beautiful. But they also have one called Incarceration that is at Mansfield Prison. 
Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, very, very cool kind of vibe. I can imagine that would be pretty spooky at night. <laughs> I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been there at night. I've just kind of driven past it. But usually when I tell people it's Mansfield, they're like, oh, I don't know where that is. And I say it's an hour north of Columbus or like yourself. They say, oh, that's where that prison is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. if you go in, they've left it exactly how it was. So, I mean, to tour, it's it's an incredible experience. The new prison is next to it, but the old one, they haven't done anything to upgrade it. So, it's it's kind of... Kind of interesting from a movie lover's point of view, but also kind of heartbreaking when you see what happens to some of our, you know, men and women if they find themselves on the wrong side and get locked away like that for years and years and years. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, then this journey west, has that been spurred by the fact I saw you you sent your youngest son to college? I did. So it's a little bit of that. It's a little. So two, three years ago, uh, I guess it was 20 20, I think. Uh, anyway, I flew out West. I was wanting to see the Pacific Northwest and I, I rented a van from a rental company that does camper vans and traveled for 10 days. My whole goal was to just travel and try to speak to as few people as possible. And I think I had three conversations in that 10 days. But by the time before I even finished the trip, I just decided that I wanted a camper van and I wanted this life. Obviously, my life has changed in a way that I didn't anticipate losing my husband and my daughter just turned 21. She's out in California. My son's been home finishing high school, but my empty nester, empty nest season, whatever you want to call that, you know, it had to change. The view had to change a little bit. And so um, I love where I live. I have a great support system. I have great friends. It's an amazing community, but I need a little bit of a break from it for a while, especially after dropping my youngest off at college, because it was good. Both my kids are awesome people. Um, even if I wasn't their mom, I would still like to be around them because I just think they're that cool. And they're off doing their thing. So I felt like I had to leave and kind of go do my thing. So I've got myself and my two dogs, which could be a lot in a small van, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we spoke last, I think it was October last year, episode 516. And around that time, you were on Jocko's podcast, you were on Jason and Emily's podcast. Um, and so you t obviously told your story a lot. You know, the, the chat event was a huge success. Um, how are you finding that balance now between still doing the work in Chad's honor and working with the kind of mental health side and TBI side, but also forging your own path as you kind of get away from from the acute event itself yeah that's a really great question and i was just having this conversation with my mom my dad and my sister before we i joined this call um because when you have uh, like myself when it's kind of a platform where you're telling your own story and it's a personal story it's much like being an entrepreneur of a business like there's never really closing hours the shop never really closes down and so and I'm starting to find what I call my busy season, which is now through middle of November, through the chat event is when things really ramp up, obviously promoting chat. But what this has also brought on is a lot of public speaking opportunities, um, which I enjoy and I welcome. But it's I find it very challenging to temper um requests, which I'm very grateful for, of people wanting you to attend events and speak. And I put a lot of time and a lot of heart and a lot of effort into my speeches. 
but balancing that with like my own personal time so that I can still kind of heal and recover. And I can't say I necessarily do a great job at it. I think I'm too quick to want to keep giving and want to keep, um, you know, sharing my story or just insight or whatever, you know, resiliency, leadership. There's, there's a lot of different things I speak about. Um, so it's kind of an ever moving target of how I'm going to find, how I am going to find the balance in that. I know one of my guests, um, I think it was Pat Kenny. He, it's a similar thing. He actually, he lost his son to suicide. I mean, this was a, it was a different kind of uh, journey. He was one of the few people I've heard kind of referred to as terminal suicide, which sounds like a kind of, you know, oxymoron, but the the drive is so so aggressive that they will ultimately find a way to, to to complete suicide and pat has an amazing story with his own father's death um with his near death at his graveside in the snow losing his son he he left his uh, his wife and one of the things he said about conversations like this is it's the power of a recorded interview or a documentary or a video is that when the time comes, when you want to shift from telling that particular story, it will always be there. You don't have mm. to keep saying, so you can say, all right, go to, you know, to the Go Ruck podcast, go to Jocko's podcast, and you will hear me tell Chad's complete story. But now I'm turning that chapter. I'm still going to obviously have that person in my life, but I'm going to start telling a different story now. It is. And you, I, you know, I know that I feel a lot of responsibility um, with trying to create a platform where I can share a story and then maybe other people will share a story and realize, realizing we're more alike than we are different. But it's also difficult because I, with people that I've spoken with or speak at events or done podcasts, I'm not sure people... And how would they write? Understand how hard it is for me to go there and talk about it. So when I finished Jocko, it, I wish I could articulate how bad my body hurt. And uh, I I remember getting in the car and I just cried. <laughs> and then I drove back to my daughter's place because I was in San Diego visiting her. And I mean, I could barely walk. We were walking to dinner. It's a little walkable town. And I I just, my body hurt and emotion, you know, kind of stores itself in your body. And so it's also finding that balance, right? What, what can you give um, emotionally of yourself to others? And so, you know, you give and you give and hopefully it helps people as I think some of my story has, I've had people reach out and, and really share some pretty um, intimate, sacred experience with me. But it's still really hard to find the balance of you're giving and it's helping other people, but is it helping you? So, well, I wrote about the comparison to what you're talking about because I, I always kind of put that at the end. I'm sure I did when we talked as well, thanking that person for sharing their story because understanding that that pulls you know pulls a scab off the wound and sends them back there, and there's there's a, a cost for that. But the value, as you said, of connecting with so many people. But I always look at the fire service too as um, Michael Clark Duncan's character in The Green Mile. Like you take and take and take and take this pain. If you're not able to offload some of it, whether it's taking your own time, whether it's hitting the stop button completely, it will consume you. So there is that mm -hmm. balance. And then you're use, you know, you're useless to everyone then if you're gone. Right. Yeah. Which was the hope of the van trip. But I've got a couple of, got a couple of events to attend. It's okay. 
uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just going to take time for me to find the best flow or pattern. So now you have two kids that are on their own two feet now. You know, you you've kind of, as you said, you you've you've established this this uh, movement that is Chab One Thousand. Moving forward, I mean, you're doing the speaking and some of those events. What are you excited about? What are you dreaming about doing with this independence that you have now? I think just really figuring myself out. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, I consider myself pretty independent. I think I'm a pretty reflective person. I, I know in many ways who I am, what I like, what I don't like, what I stand for. But having lived a life with a partner for so long, you know, Chad and I, as I shared last time, and anybody else who might listen to my story, we met when I was 13. So the first day of high school. And yeah, there were a couple of breakups in there. But ultimately, it's 27 years of your life. And I was 41 when he died. So, so much of who I am is also a byproduct of also being with him. You know, when you're married and together for a long time, you kind of blend into one another, the good parts, the bad parts, everything in between. And I'm thankful for that. Um, Chad gave me, I think, some really valuable skill sets that maybe I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. But now it's a little bit of like, who who are you and who do you want, want to be? Um, because when you meet someone as a young girl, unlike a lot of people who might be young and they date and, you know, they go to college and they have all these different life experiences and then they meet their person. I just knew that I wanted to be with Chad and be married. And then we became a military family and a mom and all the sort of things. And it's just, it's just a huge life change for many moms and dads, their kids go off to college and they also have this newfound perspective, but now it's my kids go off to college I'm an empty nester, but I'm also all alone. So in a lot of ways, my life can be anything or everything I want it to be. Um, there's no compromise needed. I'm not working with a partner. Um, I would love to be able to write my story and have it written so people could read it. I mean, that's, I don't share that much, but it's been something I've been working on. And um, I think it sounds terrible to say it's a good story, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting story. If someone were to read about my life from start to maybe the point that I'm in, because now it's not just, you know, I married my high school sweetheart and he was a Navy SEAL and he did all this cool stuff and he took his life and I'm a widow. It's also everything I've done since he's died. So there's been a lot of healing that's happened. Um, and I think I could share that too. Well, I think it relates, you know, when you're talking, and I think we talked about this last time, my my wife now, the boyfriend before myself took his own life, Danny. And yeah. so when we came into this relationship, it was kind of the same path we were on. Now, she had completely lost him. You know, my my marriage had failed. I found there was infidelity. So it was a different kind of grief, but it was still the same thing. And so it could be someone who's lost someone, you know, physically lost someone or it could be someone that's had a breakup or you know lost a child or whatever yeah. it is they're still going to relate with your story and i think that we need to hear real world stories like that and especially 
especially the people that believe that the firefighter, the Navy SEAL, the construction worker are, you know, two-dimensional superheroes. We need to hear that vulnerability and we need to hear that our men and women break because if we're not mm-hmm. telling that story then people are going to keep buying into the fairy tales that you know tough guys don't cry which is absolute bullshit yeah i mean i think i think there's validity for both sides of those stories it just needs to be a little more evened out right it doesn't always have to be the superhero you know gets the bad guy wins the war gets the girl all that every time there's a balance because we're human so Absolutely. Yeah. Now, another thing, I don't know if you've kind of observed this within yourself. We don't think about this, but there is so much healing, obviously, in being a parent, if it's a, if it's a good family dynamic. And so you mm-hmm. have this caring, you have this purpose, you have the selflessness when you are a mother or a father. When these children then go on and leave the home, the positive coping mechanism that is parenting has now been taken away. And I could see how that, again, might create a void that maybe brings some waves of past trauma forward again. Did you experience anything like that once your son had kind of moved out? Yeah, I mean, it's only been a couple of days. I just dropped him off, what, uh, five days ago? So five days. Thankfully, he's called his mom every day. Not because he's a mama's boy, but just to call asking various questions or whatever. Um, yeah, I think... I think as a parent, right, anybody as a parent wants to know that your kid can fly the nest and and be successful. And I don't mean be successful, necessarily make the most money, but just be a happy, well-rounded, kind human that can survive and hopefully thrive in the world. That's what we want. Um, it's a little complex once you add someone like us, we've experienced, you know, significant trauma and it was not quite, it'll be four years in October. So we're a couple months away. Um, and as I think I shared last time, my son was 14. So he was a freshman and my daughter was 17. Uh, she was a senior, soft junior. I can't remember such a pivotal time in a kid's life. Um, any kid, no matter what's going on in their life, they just, they need more parental supervision than you can probably imagine. They need a lot more support than most people probably recognize. And then to lose a parent this way. And we both have both, all three of us have carried it very differently. Um, And the way that we deal with various triggers, I think is very different. And I've always tried to honor and respect that in my kids because we're three different people, we shouldn't we shouldn't process this the same. I get it, um, but it's a matter of do my kids have the capability to keep carrying this, carrying this, and when they are triggered or bothered, and I'm not easily accepts, accessible, do they have the skills to kind of marinate in it and find their way out of it, um, and we don't necessarily, we're not perfect by any means, but I cannot express to you how, I'm going to cry, just how impressed I am with my kids because they're just, they're just so awesome. (laughs) So. Well, staying on that, because I'm sure there are, you know, parents and or maybe even, you know, kids that are listening to this now. 
I just had uh, one of my CrossFit gym members' sons um, lost his one of his best friends to suicide at the age of 14, which is my son's age as well. Um, so there are a lot of our kids struggling. What are some of the tools that you've watched your two kids use to process this, to get through this themselves? Because, I mean, it's easy for us, you know, when we're older, we'll talk about, you know, all these kind of treatments and equine therapy and psilocybin. But for high school kids, you know, that's a, a different kind of arena. So what have you watched them lean into that has created these resilient children? Um. Well, for them, I think it's also kind of a moving needle too, right? I, I don't think they found kind of this one thing is their thing. But um, for my daughter, it really made it, She they both had been to therapists, uh, were seeing a therapist after my husband passed away, and that proved to be beneficial. Um, my daughter went and connected with someone, um, and she doesn't see her currently, but I know that it really helped her. My son was very uh, against it at first, and uh, he came home one day. This was early on, and I basically said, I, I like to give my children the freedom of choice. Some parents, you know, it's kind of like, this is my rules, what you're going to do, and I do that when I need to. But generally, it's very much uh, I want them to have free will. And so I said, hey, Hud, I think it'd be really good if you go talk to someone. And he said, I don't want to do that. And I said, how about you go five times? And at the end of five times, if you don't want to go anymore, you don't have to go. Deal, right? Uh, and I dropped him off. And when he got back in the car, he was kind of smirking and he made a couple comments and and it worked. And so he did that as he went through high school. But in addition, uh, we also utilized a rage room. Have you heard of those? I have, yeah. I mean, I grew up yeah. on a farm, so I had an inbuilt one there. But <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I wish I had that. But, you know, I remember in the early days that we uh, – I, I, they were every every one of us was just having a bad day, and I basically put them in the car and said, "We're going somewhere." And they said, "Where are we going?" I said, "I'm gonna tell you when we get there." And we get there, and they're like, "What do you do?" And I said, "We are gonna put on hard, hard music, and we're gonna break shit." And my kids were like, "Yeah, right." And I was like, "No, really." And I have videos of them, and but beyond that, and we've taken big, you know, we've taken a trips together, we've been around family, but ultimately my daughter went away. So, and I really do believe that that was one of the best things for her was to get out of where we live. And like I said, our town is great, but I drive through town every day and everywhere is a memory and it, and it just hits you, you know, and there's certain spots in particular, you'd be sitting at a light and look over and you're just like, yeah, you know, that wasn't good for her. Um, she really is an independent free bird and I love it so much. And so she had to go create her own path. And I think that is very empowering to her. Um, and she's found ways to kind of like keep her dad with her in other areas of her life. Um, and she does a lot of photography and, um, She's just really paving her own way. And I think in her mind, she knows how, how proud her dad would be of her doing that and that independence. My son is an extrovert. He's not, we're not really sure where he came from because <laughs> <laughs> we're not really extroverts. We're, we're, uh, you know, we're friendly, but we we're kind of loners a little bit. We stick in very small packs. My kids let my son's like more people, the better. Right. 
Um, and he's always leaned into friends and is social. And that's why I think going away to a traditional four-year school is is going to be a really good experience for him. And of course, I had to do the mom thing. You know, the mom, we rode skateboards and I'm telling him, you know, your job is to go to school. You got to go good grades. He's like, mom. And I give him the speech when I drop him off. And I recently wanted to write him a letter. But of course, I did a little post on Instagram or whatever, just kind of laying out the rules because as much as college, you know, you pay for it and you're going to get a degree and you want to make good grades. College is so much more than that if you, if you play it right. And you can get so much out of college and learning about yourself as a person to set yourself up for success when you really get pushed out into the real world. Because college isn't really the real world. It's like this buffer of time. It's like an alternate universe that you go to before you really become an adult, right? So, you know, just trying to remind them of those skills and, um, and also just being that steady constant as a parent. Um, I, uh, obviously they don't have Chad. They don't have my husband. And of course now I'm an empty nester and I'm going to travel and I'm going to be on the road, but my kids should absolutely know that they are the 100% priority to me. If they need something, I'll be there. And I think they know that. And, and I think that provides a lot of security to kids, whether they're five or 21 or 18. Absolutely. Well, with, uh, well, firstly, sorry, an observation of that. That's such a powerful story for anyone listening, that there is no one thing. And I've talked about this before. I had one, you know, two guests that came on that told me that their therapy works for everyone, 100% of the people. And I'm like, no, yeah. I, I don't believe that. I'm sorry. I just do not nothing. No religion, no workout plan, no nutrition, nothing. Um, and that is, I think, so important to hear that that therapist at that right, you know, that moment was the right for your son, that, you know, seeing the world through the lens of a camera was probably more therapeutic for your daughter. These are the things that we need to hear. If you've been told, do this thing, it will help your mental health and it's not working. That's not the end of the road. It might be the wrong person. It might be the wrong therapy. It might be just getting in a camper van with two dogs that ultimately is your healing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you know, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and toot my own horn, but as a parent, as a good parent, your job is to take care of your children. And part of taking care of your children also means taking care of yourself. Because what I was always aware of in my children, even from the time we were really little, hopefully you can't hear them barking. Hey, sorry, (laughs) sorry, is that they're always watching you. Your kids are always watching you. And so it was really important for me to kind of go head head on into trying different types of things that might help me heal or understand myself or process this loss. Because even if they didn't say it, I knew they were watching me. I wasn't, I mean, there was definitely days when I laid around on my couch or laid in my bed, but it was never for weeks, months at a time. And I'm not saying that's bad if that's what someone has done. I don't think that's bad at all. But for me and my spirit and my soul, I knew that I had to make a dedicated effort to try to be the best version of myself because I had two teams watching me. 
Well, I saw that you, I think it was shortly after we did our interview, you attended the Vet Solutions Gala. And I had Marcus Capone on here somewhat recently, actually. But I mean, Nick Norris and so many others have come on and told their story of how, you know, Ibogaine, psilocybin, the the, uh, psychedelic treatments helped so much. So talk to me about kind of that gala and then let's explore that area again, you know, what you've seen through your own eyes on that element. Yeah, um, I serve on the board for Vet Solutions. and they are um, providing plant medicine to uh, either retired or discharged veterans. Uh, and so I serve on the board. So I attended the gala. They have a gala each year. It's held on Veterans Day uh, in the San Diego area. And it was wonderful. It's a fundraising event. And it was great. They did a great job. It was the first year. We'll have a, our second one later this year in November. Um, because ultimately this is proving to heal people and the list of people waiting for treatment is like longer than the funds are present. You know, it's just, it's a constantly moving target again, that we're constantly fundraising so that we can um, help treat people. Marcus and Amber and I have been friends for many years. So him and Chad worked together. So we knew each other back in Virginia Beach. Amber worked at my CrossFit gym for a while when I owned one many moons ago. And um, and plant medicine is something that I have done in my journey to heal. I did it. Uh, I had done many things and we can, we can talk about all of them if you want. But just, you know, the quick overview is it. You know, I went to therapy, I did EMDR, I journaled, I hung out with friends, I didn't hang out with friends, I slept a lot, I didn't sleep a lot, I worked out, I took a trip to Bali, I bought a pig, um, I got tattoos, I went to a widow retreat, it's called Camp Widow, which sounds really cheesy and hokey, but it's actually really well well ran. Um, I did an in-depth treatment in the Tennessee mountains at a place called Onsite that is also wonderful. So it wasn't like I just said, oh, I'm going to run off and do plant medicine. I've done many things to create healing. But it got to a point where I just knew, I just knew there had to be something more. And so I did a little bit of research and ultimately went and did uh, psilocybin and MDMA together. Um, Worked with a therapist prior who, who is specific to plant medicine. So going into it, they knew kind of my story and what I was working with. Um, I went through treatment and it proved to be very helpful um, for me. This was right at a really critical time, though, because my kids were still uh, struggling a bit in their own way. I had a lot of responsibility with my house, trying to figure out just life. Um, and then ultimately decided to go do Ibogaine and 5-MEO. And so I traveled uh, and went and did that. And I can say, I've shared this with other people. So my um, my daughter had open heart surgery when she was a baby. I don't know if we talked about that before. And you know, I was a very young mom. And I don't think I ever realized till much later that that was probably pretty traumatizing to me. But you're just, you know, you're just in it. It's your mom, your mom, your baby. So between that and losing Chad was pretty significant. And I would say doing Ibogaine was probably up there with one of the hardest things I've ever done. So does that mean that I wouldn't do it again? No. Do I think it works? Yes. And so since then, 
I'm not completely integrated with everybody who goes and does treatment. But what I can tell you is there's been some more emergency-based situations that I've been a part of, and I've had those people come full circle and kind of say, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that medicine. And a friend of mine said it best. He said, I think it's best. He said, plant medicine is for anybody. It's not for everybody. And I can understand that. And so, you know, if you think about plant medicine, it's, it grows on our earth. If you were to take traditional medicine, they would say it's going to take two to three weeks to take effect. You could also have all these side effects and you also have to wean yourself off of it. Plant medicine, that's not the case. Is it for everybody? Probably not necessarily. I think it's a, it's a personal choice. Um, and there might be reasons not to do it, whether it's beliefs, morals, ethics. I don't think that way. I'm just opening the platform for someone who might who might feel strongly against it. But what I will say is, had I known and understood the effects of plant medicine prior to losing Chad, and had I been aware of how much he was hurting, there's nothing that would have stopped me getting him treatment with it. So... And I'm not telling people to break the rules or break laws or anything like that. But I have been in conversations with spouses and as I call them, first responders of these men and women in uniform, and they feel completely beside themselves and they don't know what to do because they're just afraid they're going to wake up one morning like I did. And that person's not going to be there anymore because they took their own life. And they ask me, what should I do? And I say, if you were at this point where it's this dire, that's what you need to go do. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I've, I've spoken to so many people. And the reason I've spoken to so many people was because they went and did that. And those so many people, Marcus, Nick, Dan Cirillo, I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on, all said I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. And even, you know, you touched on psilocybin and MDMA. I had um, Dr. Ben Sessa, who's actually at University of Bristol in England, and they're trying to push that, you know. And again, it makes perfect sense. As someone who did recreationally do MDMA when I was young and saw all these walls fall, you know, in nightclubs where people were normally stabbing each other, they were all hugging each other. It's pretty amazing to watch. But then you put that in a counseling session where you get a trained professional and these internal walls come down, you're able to offload some trauma. All these things are so, so powerful. And obviously, as, as Marcus says, you know, I began being the nuclear option. And the tragedy, which I've talked about over and over again, is as you said, it's illegal. Some people think it's unethical. You have to go to a different country. That barrier to entry is just completely unacceptable. And I've seen, I didn't look into it, but some news reports that I guess they're now starting to change. They're out there. They're, um, attitude towards psychedelics and i'm hoping that there's going to be a shift but the fact that so many only had these these, these kind of options that were very kind of white belt when there were these really powerful drugs that we could be using and it's just the prohibition laws that were stopping our men and women who served this country from getting the treatment that is something that we have to all stand up and demand to change I mean, we all want what works. Now, with that being said, as we mentioned earlier, being being these these 
human beings that we are, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer for mental health. So I really try to honor and respect people's choices and what they choose to do. You can find experiential programs all day long regarding PTSD, anxiety, depression, right? You can ride horses, you can shoot guns, you can ride a sailboat, you can uh, ride race cars. I mean, you name it, then that's what I call it is like experiential therapy. And that can, I think that, I think they're great. I think they're great. Uh, I think it was Dr. Craig Bryan or Brian Craig. I flip his names because it's two first names. He gave a statistic that they're 16% effective. So do they offset PTS and or PTSD? Do they offset symptoms of depression, anxiety? Sure. I'm sure they do if you find your thing that it is you like to do. But when we're talking about really trying to treat the brain, our options get pretty limited. You know, we've got MERT, the Stella Ganglion Block, plant medicine. And but with that being said, plant medicine is getting this large rise, right? People are starting to pay attention to it. Have I done it? Yes. Did it work? Yes. Do I think it works? Yes. Do I think it saved people's lives? Yes. But it still requires work. And so this is where I think some of the misconception comes in is because of the history of it. Uh, you know, go back people, whether it's like dropping acid, taking shrooms, whatever they people are viewing it as like, oh, I don't know. They just like go out of the country and they do this thing and they come back. And yeah, that's not really what it is. It's a, it's it's a it's an umbrella of treatment. It needs to be looked at as a continuum of care is what Marcus and I talk about. So, you know, the idea is you are struggling. You work with a therapist who is in the plant medicine field and world and understands it, and they better understand what it is you're struggling with. You go for treatment, right? And so you're in this experience, but then afterwards, you also need to integrate what you experienced from that into your life now, right? What what came to light? What did you learn? What did you better understand? Maybe you didn't understand. And then also doing all the other things that are really great for our bodies, right? Sunlight, good food, water. Um, so I think that misconception needs to change a little bit too. And that in my experience, I found people just kind of think it's this one-off thing. You zip down somewhere else and you take a pill and you come back and it's good to go. And it's like, that's not really it. There's more to it. And Quite frankly, I mean, Nick and I have talked about it. I'm sure Marcus and I, I'm sure we've all talked about it. Of <laughs> If the whole world would just do plant medicine one time, I think our world would look a whole lot different. Oh, I agree completely. For, for good. Yeah, yeah, for good. Because as a paramedic, I mean, I, I get to see, you know, the real side of drug prohibition and it's horrible right. and it takes millions yeah. of lives. Um, with what you're talking about that reminds me of, of cbd obviously a completely different discussion you know not you know uh, psychedelic in any way shape or form despite a lot of the the misunderstanding of it but it is not a miracle pill and i think that's the problem that people have this perception of oh my blood pressure is fine i just take this you know pharmaceutical no your blood pressure is not fine you just affected the numbers at the doctor's office by cheating the body basically mm -hmm. but with cbd what i tell people is 
In the fire service, if you crash your car, we use what's called cribbing. So we put it under the car to stabilize it. If we have to lift it off someone, as we lift it up, we put pieces of wood underneath. That to me is what CBD does. It addresses some of the imbalances so that you can then start doing the work. So you're in pain. It takes away some of the pain. Now maybe you're able to start doing yoga or start getting back into the gym. And that ultimately is what's going to fix the underlying issue. You know, you've got mental health issues. Maybe CBD will help you sleep. And therefore, you're going to start processing some of the, you know, the, the, the stressors. And, you know, that's it. So I think that's what I see with, with any of these therapies is it's giving you the tools to be able to start doing the work where maybe before you were just in such a, a mental hurricane that you could never even you know get a foothold now you have these experiences and some clarity now you can start unpacking the things you need to unpack if you're willing to do the work and i was talking with a friend the other day and i said you know the hard part when we're talking about mental health is as as the brain is so complex it's fascinating so complex i'm not going to sit here and act like i know a ton about it but if you just use the example if you broke a bone uh, I just broke a knuckle a couple months back and the doctor says, you know, you got to wear this splint, you have to wear it this long. And then, you know, we take an x-ray, don't all the things and you do that. But the brain, there's not really one way to go about creating a healthy brain and a healthy mindset, right? And mental clarity. All of us are so different because we bring our own, I don't want to say baggage, but life experience to what, how that makeup is formed. And so, if we really just think about, okay, think of your brain like your massive computer database. Well, what happens when your computer starts running slow? You shut it down, right? Turn everything off. Maybe you update the software. You'll do whatever you have to do to get your computer running smoother, right? Why wouldn't we do that with our minds in the sense that you really have to take a hard look at yourself and realize what really affects you, right? How do you how do you excel? What helps make that? Is it better sleep? Is it more hydration? Is it better food? Is it is it yoga? I don't, I can't do yoga. I hate, sorry to all the yogis out there. It's like the one thing, like just, I'll do anything. Just don't make me do yoga. But for me, it's riding my skateboard, right? So I get really overwhelmed. I get really flustered in my head with different decisions I have to make and things I have to do. And, and I start to get really anxious and I go ride my skateboard. And that's, and so, yeah, it's about giving people the ability to have the tools to figure that out about themselves. Um, and plant medicine is kind of just the one way to open up your curtain of like, this is, this is you. This is how you see yourself. This is the experiences you've had. Now, what are you going to do with it? Well, speaking of the brain and the fragility of the brain, um, I know we touched on this last time, but I kind of want to revisit it a year later. When we spoke before, I think the only thing that I'd heard that would actually make any positive impact on TBIs was psilocybin itself. It was another kind of side effect. In this last 10 or so months, have you heard of any other progressions in the world of brain health and, and the injuries that our responders and, and military receive? I think I'm going to, I'm going to be kind of short in my answer. Uh, but I think that there are studies being done currently specific to plant medicine that will create a change in the way people see this modality of treatment for the better. Yeah. 
beautiful. So there's hope. Yeah, Excellent. I think so. Excellent. Fantastic. All right. Well, then speaking of skateboarding, we met yeah. in Sandlot Jacks. Um, we were actually oh, yeah. at a skateboard, you know, demo. So tell me about your Sandlot Jacks experience, what it was to you. Oh, okay. So um, Sandlot Jacks, are your listeners kind of familiar with what that is? A little bit, but I, if you want to summarize again, because they may not have heard of those episodes. Uh, it was hosted by Go Rock. Last year was the first annual fitness festival, and it was kind of this, uh, and I mean this in the nice way, this smorgasbord of of health, right? There were vendors there who have different specialties. There were some people of influence holding different seminars. Tim Kennedy, for example, did like an MMA grappling thing. Uh, there was Mike Vallely was there doing a skateboard session. We also had a speaker series. So kind of picture like Ted style talks. And uh, there were four to five speakers on a, on a, on a platform. Um, they would each speak for about 15 minutes on, on various topics. And I spoke there as well. And so my obviously attachment to GORUCK is the work that I do with them and the Chad 1000X workout. In turn, I've been fortunate enough to have Jason and Emily become what I would consider very great friends. They're good, solid people. And so it drove the, as I call it, the willy wagon, the camper van down there and camped out for five days. And, um, you know, I really had a good time just walking around, meeting up with people that I had met in the past, uh, especially through Chad 1000X and podcasts and, and even the CrossFit world, um, and did some public speaking, uh, uh, Jedberg podcast is one. So Saul Fran and on his podcast, he kind of threw me to the fire at the very end. And he said, will you do Chad 1000 X with me at Sandlot Jacks? And I thought he knows how competitive I am. Like, I'm not going to say no. So there was a small group of us that, that executed the workout early Saturday morning. And um, it was a good event. I mean, for the first year, as Jason and I said it, like the beta year, I thought it was great. And they're going to do it again this coming year, and I think it's only going to be better and grow. Um, but skateboarding with him was cool. I mean, I longboard. I'm not like a short board trickster. I tried to do a kickflip one time with my son, and it didn't go so well. So uh, I think you saw me as I was holding on the back of a gator, right, getting pulled. Yeah, no, I saw all kinds of things <laughs> in that skateboarding demo. <laughs> I was trying to get him to, like, sling me down the down the, the sidewalk, but – uh. Yeah, it was a good time. It was really fun. Really fun. And such such a good community of people. Um, you know, my history is CrossFit. That's also a, a great community of people. But this was really embedded and saturated with the GORUCK community that is not necessarily one in the same, right, with CrossFit. And so it just opened up, personally, it opened up my world to just more people and more friends. And, and everybody was incredibly kind and incredibly welcoming. So I enjoyed it. It was so needed as well because we're talking, was it February when we did that? I don't even remember anymore. No. Oh, the Sandlot Jackson. Yeah. April. April. Okay. Yeah. 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 So as we were coming out of the pandemic, you know, there was, I'd made this observation. So New Year's Eve, I mean, excuse me, New Year's Day hits and there's all the gyms are going to be full memes, but no one right. was actually seeing that, you know, because even though we were well out of it by that point, a lot of the set, the wind had been taken out of people's sails. So going there and seeing the savage race people the go rocks the the manion wad i mean you guys doing chad i mean all these these different not only community but the the stories behind a lot of this community 
I felt like it was such a great jump start for a lot of people to get the inertia they had prior to the pandemic. For well, one hundred percent. I mean, I think uh, I think people. I've said it many times before, but people need people. Um, culture is created by community, but leadership sets the precedent. And I think that kind of sums it up, right? And so, obviously, Go Ruck has created all these Go Ruck clubs, right? Rucking clubs. I mean, they go around the world, and there were a handful of people, and there were obviously a lot of rucking events, and they were earning patches. And so, that's community. Um, but then you also had Savage Race, and you had these obstacle courses, and people were cheering each other on, and community. And the grappling I watched, I watched, I did not participate because I was like really out of my skill set, but it was still fascinating to watch. I mean, there were men, women, short, tall, didn't matter. You didn't have to have any experience. He brought them in. And I think that inclusivity is what people really need, whether they can really express it or not. I know that they're grateful for it. And I think what Jason and Emily and the other leaders they brought in to host that event really capitalized on the leadership cultivating community. I had a guest on Johan Hari who wrote some incredible books on addiction and, and some other areas, but he has a quote, the opposite of addiction is connection. And I agree completely. Mm -hmm. And that's what was taken from so many people the last couple of years. Now with the lens that you have, obviously, you're, you know, a beacon for a lot of people when it comes to mental health. What have you observed of the impact of the last two years on the last year or so? I think just as you've talked about, I think people just became very reclusive and it became the path of least resistance was also the path we were forced into, right? You kind of stick to yourself, you stay at home, you order your groceries, you Instacart, whatever, I've never done that, but you Instacart a thing and the, whatever you need shows up at your door. It it almost, I, I worry that it almost created a callous on people to just think that that's how life should be alone and just kind of like taking care of yourself and surviving and then it makes them less likely to reach out or find those sources of connection, whether it's a church, a gym, uh, a community project, volunteering. And I just, I keep coming back to it. I just believe as humans, what you always will need is, is people. Um, and I learned that through my grief, really. I, being a military kid, one, one, of my, one of my worst traits, I would say, I have quite a few, but I would say one of my worst traits is that, and one of my best, is that I'm very independent. But it's very tricky because it could really be awesome and work to your favor, or it could really be a detriment. And so, and I might have shared this last time, I sold my house last year that Chad and I owned, well, end of 2020. And I moved into a new house early 2021. Do you know I moved that entire house by myself? Really? Having having moved houses by myself, I know what a feat that is. Yeah. So I had my son help me put the couch in the back of the truck. But other than that, and, the, and some guys came and moved my safe because I couldn't move a safe. But literally moved everything. Now, 
Why? I have a whole community of people I could have called to help, but it was like, nope, I'm going to do it all by myself. And when I started to be really um, introspective and try to evaluate myself, all of me, good and bad, especially after losing Chad, I started to realize that as much as I liked being independent, it was working against me terribly because it was just putting me in a spot where it's like, I wasn't calling people if I was having a bad day. I wouldn't ask to hang out with people. Um, And so I've worked really hard to lean into that. And so to that point, I think with COVID and the various restrictions we've had in the last few years, and I think of children, my daughter does photography and she was recently photographing a, a small child and the mom made a comment. She said, oh, he's a COVID baby. And I was like, I thought she meant he was he was conceived during COVID, but I think she really meant, you know, she he was born, he was a small baby. And so his experience is pretty limited because they were always home. But I thought to myself, well, you can't say that forever. You can change that. You make a choice to take him out places and do things and be with people. And, and everyone needs to do that, right, for themselves. Well, it's yeah. it's weird because when when I'm listening to you talk, I I never really thought of it this way. But I've talked a lot on the podcast about how we love to create the boogeyman, and you know, obviously, right now the boogeyman is the entire nation of Russia. Every farmer, every you know, lady that works in a coffee shop, you know, they're all the enemy. You know, Afghanistan, Iraq, they were all the enemy. Versus, you know, there were some horrible people in these countries that are you know tyrannical and and enacting whatever plan they have. But what they did the last two years was made other people the enemy. This virus is hiding amongst your neighbors and your, your grandchildren, and they could kill you if you're not careful. And you couldn't have created a worse boogeyman for mental health than to try and destroy the not only community, but family structures too. Oh, that's such a good point and well said. <laughs> yeah, just slowly kind of dismantling people in in a lot of ways uh which is terrifying it is well speaking of community i about a year ago now i think ryan parrot called me and i became part of the human performance project and in that journey with this incredible group i just went to dallas and met with them about two weeks ago now um obviously i met jamie metcalf who lost her husband david another seal to suicide as well so Talk to me about that relationship and you know, what you know of, of what they're about to do. Yeah, so uh, David Metcalf was a SEAL who died. Uh, he took his life in January 2019, so a few months after my husband. And I did not know him, nor did I knew, know his wife, Jamie. Um, but we've since obviously become pretty good friends. She, she lives far away, so we don't see each other as often as I'd like. But uh, I know I don't know a ton about the project, um, but I know that they're doing some pretty big things, traveling to all the different continents, right? And honoring, um, kind of standing up for this, right? Mental health and honoring those lost to suicide. She, in turn, has started her own nonprofit, uh, Dave Metcalf invisible wounds. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, And so she will be holding an event up in the Chicago area. She holds a dinner and it's a golf tournament. And I'm actually traveling there in a few weeks. I'll be speaking at that event. Um, So she's trying to do her due diligence to 
not only raise awareness to uh, the trauma within the brain, but dive into more medically based research and why is it happening? How can we prevent it? What can we do moving forward? Beautiful. Yeah. The, the, the whole, the, 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 the program, excuse me, the, the project itself was born out of losing David because David was Ryan's uh, sniper partner. But mm -hmm. what they've decided to do is rather than just a singular event, they are doing all these studies to prepare the athletes for this. That they're going to skydive and or base jump, do a marathon and swim in seven continents in seven days. So each mm -hmm. they're going to do that. We're going to jump on a plane again, fly to the next continent, rinse and repeat. But then, so that's an event that's going to break them down as a SEAL deployment would. And then they're going to study the reboot. How can they then get them to, as you said, you know, close that computer down, yeah. let it cool, maybe do some upgrades and then restart it again. And then that will create a manual that hopefully will be, you know, a guide then for people, whether it's military first responder to prepare to enter one of those professions to stay healthy mm -hmm. during their service and to transition out healthily as well. So again, as we talked about, it's not the only solution, but whilst you have some of the tools and plant medicine things we talked about, this is going to be a guide that is going to allow people to understand, you know, the impact of some of the things they're about to do and how they are able to heal on the other side. Well, it's funny because in 20, must have been 2019, I spoke with the doctor who studied uh, Chad's brain and Chad climbed Aconcagua, the second highest summit in January, 2018, about nine months before he died. And I will never know, but I do firmly believe that climbing to that elevation and lack of oxygen exacerbated his symptoms and kind of put him on the fast track. Fast forward, he passes away and I have a group of his teammates saying, we're going to go climb Aconcagua in his honor. And I had a hard conversation with them, knowing these guys, some of them have done, you know, 10, 20 years of service, multiple combat deployments, same, same story, right? Is that you guys have to understand the risk. And they said, we know, we've discussed it, we're going anyway. So I approached this doctor and I said, hey, everything I just, he knew I felt this way about Aconcagua. I said, you've got these guys that are going to go climb it again. That would be a really great study to do because they're climbing it anyway. And uh, he just looked at me and said, no. And I thought, that's, that's when some things changed for me because, uh, and granted, there's a lot that goes into hosting a research project. I get it. But it was interesting to me that someone who is invested in the brain and studying it and someone comes to you with a really good possibility of maybe further insight and you don't give it any time to think about it. You just tell me no. Do you really want to know the answer then? That's where I struggle. Um, and then we had some guys climb Cotopaxi, I don't know, six or eight months ago. And I had just said, maybe you could just keep a list of your signs and symptoms that you have now, right? Do you get frequent headaches? You know, are you, you overweight, whatever. And then just maybe keep a list while you're there if anything changes. Don't say anything to anyone because you don't want to, you know, get people on the same page. And um, I know one guy kind of kept track of his signs and symptoms prior and his signs and symptoms during. But granted, I'm not a scientist, not a researcher. It's not my thing. So it makes me happy to know that, you know, this is happening and I have read about it and um, why not, you know? So 
Well, speaking of, of neuroscience, I just had an amazing man on the show, Professor Russell Foster, which is funny because it's someone that my dad's been telling me to get on the show for a long time and uh, finally kind of the stars aligned. And his research is in circadian rhythm. So he's he's one of the team that discovered that the eye has rods and cones for vision, but also a third receptor that when light hits it, it tells the body it's morning, it's evening. You know, so a lot of things that you hear mm -hmm. discussed, that's their work originally. But he really delved into sleep deprivation and even, even blind veterans. If you lost your sight anatomically, what that can do with your loss of sense of day and night, you know, so, so much there. But that the book is called Lifetime. I highly recommend, you know, if you want to kind of dive into that, because I've heard you talking about, you know, the, the concussive elements on our, you know, law enforcement and, and uh, military. I think the other unspoken element is sleep deprivation. And that's what I see in the fire service. We don't get hit in the head. Most of us that have concussions are from, you know, the sports that we partake in outside. But the shifts that our firefighters work are absolutely horrendous. And again, if you want to write, you know, what were you like before, what were you like after? I've watched young firemen in my CrossFit gym who entered this profession and I've seen them age 10 years in five. You know, it's, it's horrendous. They're all, a lot of them are on uh, exogenous testosterone now and all kinds of stuff. And I've watched it start to murder them. So, you know, I think the TBI element is important. Understanding altitude is important, but also sleep. And you get people like Kurt Parsley who saw that in the SEAL teams, you know, quite a while ago now. You know, these are the things that we need to have discussions on. And I think that's what the manual is trying to do is bring all these elements together so that people are understanding that from day one, not being blindsided 20 years later. Uh, well, yeah. So two things. Yes, I think sleep is just paramount. And again, I wouldn't say I know. I can't, I can't sit here and back it up with scientific facts, but I just much like rebooting that computer for all of us, whether you're a military first responder, anybody sleep is critical to just functioning at a high level. Um, so everyone should be prioritizing their sleep. I've worked really hard on my sleep. Um, I was always a good sleeper, never had an issue till Chad died. And then I just kind of became this. I, I did, it didn't matter. Like I would wake up at like two in the morning. And so I wouldn't be able to fall back asleep. So that's just when I would start my day and I would just start doing all the things any normal person would do at 8 a.m. And um, I'm not perfect, but I definitely work hard at it. And I think especially for men and women uniformed and first responders, especially those those shifts that you guys work, I, you know, even nurses and, and doctors like I don't I don't know how they do that. But um, it is critical to prioritize that. And and I think. It's nice to see the work is being done to understand these issues. Again, 20 years post 9-11. So as I've said multiple times before, you know, our military is generally reactive, not proactive, um, which might work sometimes, but it doesn't work here. We need to be proactive and better understand what's affecting them, not just physically, like on the battlefield, but mentally and emotionally and what they carry, and better prepare those coming into service, firefighters, LEO the same, from day one. Um, and it, you know, they put so much time and em emphasis in the training. You know, I know for, for SEALs, it's like, 
oh, you want to be a sniper? Well, we have one specific sniper school you learn from the best of the best. You want to do free fall jump master? You're going to go back with this best of the best team. You want to learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu? You can go to Brazil and work with this person. But but the brain and the mental health, there's what, you know, like just figure it out. There's a, there's a guy in the, in the shed in the back. You can go talk to him. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, they, they call it the checkup from the neck up, right? When they have to go talk to like the command psychs. But um, I I could argue that a little bit too. So one, you're working with, especially these guys who can potentially evade a lie detector test. So you think they could very easily convince someone that they're fine? Yeah, I do. They do it. They did it. And then two, this is probably going to bug people, but if you are a psychologist or a therapist or, you know, you fall under that umbrella, the hope is that you are, um, you know, very neutral, right. And can, can be unattached. But I do wonder for some of these people serving our military men and women, that if you were at the same command for a very, very long time, do you too become calloused? And do you too become blind to the problems that are happening? Because I do think that's what happens. So, um, so yeah. So let's be more reactive and not proactive. And I think that that is happening slowly but surely. And I was recently asked in an inter- interview if they, if I thought leadership was doing a good job with this, and my answer is no. And my answer is no, because my husband is not here. So that answer isn't going to change. But she said that I was asked who's going to fix this problem. And I said, we are. Meaning we, meaning the people who have lived it. Like I lost my husband. You are directly in this space with your life experience. The other men and women who are in this life of having hardships, seeing it, struggling through it, we're the ones that are going to help each other out of it. That makes sense. No, 100%. Yeah, and I think the problem is, is, you know, I think people just, they enter into a world that is apathetic, you know, where the focus becomes on, you know, budgets or, you know, I don't know what it would be in in leadership in in the, the military, whether it's, you know, plan training and deployments and all these things. But in the fire service, it's just, you know, keeping those vehicles going out. If you're in a transport unit, you know, getting them transporting because now that's a that's a funding element for you, you know, and you lose sight of the fact that there are men and women with families that are being sent out over and over and over again. And then sadly, as you talk about, you know, not be able to see the wood for the trees, the people in the stations, what I see more often than not is that we are so sleep deprived and beaten down that we can't see it in ourselves or each other. So it is the spouses, you know, the girlfriends, the children, the parents that are our best eyes because we can't see it within ourselves. For sure. For sure. And that's a big responsibility. You know, that's that's probably a responsibility that you didn't really realize was your responsibility when you first kind of took on the role, whether it's girlfriend, wife, husband, boyfriend, whatever. Even parents, right? Your child goes and joins the military, goes to the fire department. You're like, great. They found their career. They're on their path. And it's like, nope. I think um, it, it still 
in a in a weird way, and it's going to sound really hokey what I'm going to say or cheesy or whatever, but we're still find ourselves circling that same idea and concept of community, aren't we? It's still about, hey, just because Sarah Wilkinson is Sarah Wilkinson and living her own life in her van with her two dogs doesn't mean that, and everyone, you know, because I do interviews and I do podcasts and I public speak, I think a lot of people are like, oh, she's good. Like she's, she's doing great, right? Not necessarily, right? I have really, really bad days and I still need somebody. And thankfully I have a great family and I have a ton of friends that do check up on me and will FaceTime me randomly. And, but we need that in everybody. We need that in all of us for each other. And I try to do my best of when someone pops in my mind, which happens often, right? You're just going about your day and that one friend, you're like, huh. I send them a message or I call them up and say, hey, I was just thinking about you. You know, I hope you're doing really well. If you want to have a call, call me up. Um, because I've had people do that to me and it makes you feel good. Like, oh, that person thought about me. That was nice. The world is so much more than just ourselves. So. Absolutely. Well, I think that's the thing that I see, you know, Sandlot Jacks was a perfect example of this, you know, of returning to that community element. And I think anytime you want to figure out if you've gone too far astray, ask yourself, would any sort of tribal unit around the world look like this, you know, whether it's present day or whether it's you have to go back a few hundred years, do they eat like this? Do they move like this? And do they have community like this? And you look at us right now and God, they're talking about the meta universe now where you're just going to sit there and get even fatter while you have a VR thing strapped to your face. That, you know, we're, we're getting further and further away from a model that has worked so well in human history which is it takes a village, you know, to raise the mm -hmm. raise kids, to train warriors, to, you know, all these different areas and then to, to, you know, create your own food and, you know, the, the movement that keeps you healthy by doing that, by gathering and hunting and, you know, building. I mean, all these things that we did for generations and then the medicine, the wisdom that came through it, the arrogance of a lot of the attitudes today that disregard millennia's worth of wisdom. <laughs> it's, it's fucking mind blowing. So I think yeah. that's what we need do is look back to all of our forefathers and be like okay some of the things you did were a bit shit but 90 percent of what you did was amazing and we seem to have deviated way from that and we need to circle around as you said back to that village mentality again yeah i mean just at the end of the day lean in and i haven't been the best representation of this because sometimes i was really pushing people away, but I've really worked hard at leaning in to the people in my life. And it's never lost on me who I have in my life. You know, I'm, I've experienced a terrible tragedy and it sucks so bad. But if I take a minute and I step back and I look at all the other people that I have in my life and the people that have come into my life since that loss, really because of that loss, I have to see the good in that. And, um, and I, you know, there's people out there that are feeling right now, like I have nobody. It's like, there's somebody, there's somebody in your world, you got to lean into them. Um, I don't know. I know someone's going to be like, that's cheesy, but I'm, 
But hey, I did plant medicine, so this is what you get. <laughs> <laughs> now, but I agree completely because you'd see some of these beautiful videos and there'll be a car crash or something and the car's flipped over and there'll be that initial, again, inertia, that, that lack of, and then one person will just be the leader and just initiate some sort of movement and then you watch everyone flock. And I think that, as you said, sometimes you know, with, with the house moving example, we all think that we don't want to bother other people, but the I think most people, most good people, are looking for an opportunity to help. And when you ask for help, they're not going to roll their eyes and go, "Oh God, Sarah's roping us into moving house." They're going to be like, "Awesome! I can I can spend an hour or two doing something good with my day outside of my normal grind." Agreed. I you said that very well. I, I do find when I would like push people away, no, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it is that it, it, it uh, knowingly people want to be wanted. That's what we want. We want to be wanted, whether it's in that physical, loving, attractive way, right? Everyone needs that or just wanted as like being helpful, being useful, being a good friend. And then eventually it just all kind of comes around. And I started to see that with the many people that showed up after I lost Chad is I think they just wanted to be helpful. Um, and so packing that house, and I might've shared this last time, um, I packed pretty much the whole house. The last thing that I had to pack up literally that day, cause I would be closing on the house the next morning was Chad's closet. And so Chad's closet was a very sacred place for me. Um, it's, I slept there for days and weeks and his closet stayed the same. It, it was really the only place in the house that still smelled like him. And so if, there's people listening and you've lost someone very close to you. I'm sure you can understand that. Uh, so anyway, I put off uh, packing up his closet. Well, this is where I think I really started to learn. I had to depend on people because I was moving a stall mat in my garage because it was a CrossFit gym and I threw out my back and I couldn't move. I was laying face down in my driveway, could not move, crying. Two other girls came to my house and they're widows. And we've since, you know, we had become very good friends and it was like, you know, God, spirit, something much bigger ha was basically telling me, stop, just stop. And they said, can we pack up Chad's closet? Well, they were going to have to, because it was the only way it was going to happen. And it was so, it sounds it's probably, probably going to sound weird to people listening, but it was so hard for me to have someone go in his closet and touch his stuff. I mean, we were just talking about clothes and shoes and he had all kinds of random, you know, holsters and jump. I mean, he just had everything in his closet, but they went to the store. They bought a bunch of those uh, airtight bags, those like storage bags or whatever. And I had to crawl, you know, make my way up the stairs. I sat on one of those BOSU balls and just, let go, you know, kind of release this to them. And I watched them pack up his clothes. You know, they asked me on everything. Can I put this here? Can I put this here? And they packed it all up. And um, I think about that day fairly often because that was just a very like sacred thing, but they were also very aware of that for me. And uh, I'm incredibly grateful to them for that day. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, Becky had, uh, I don't know if I said, talked about this last time as well, but she had Danny's clothes hanging up and she had a laundry hamper that, you know, had never been emptied. And yeah, never, she would, mm -hmm, she would, same. you know, go in there occasionally and, you know, 
just kind of weep and get it out and, and then come back out again. But I remember the day she finally felt like she was ready and it was years after we met. And then one mm -hmm. day she was like, okay. And, and then she washed it all and donated it and that was it. So yeah, but it yeah. was extremely hard for her. Yeah. It's, there's so many things that I could write about and talk about, you know, just going through their stuff and moving it and getting rid of things. It's, it's, it's complex. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you talked about not being able to sleep. Just before we go to this year's Chags, I want to make sure that we, you know, make sure everyone's looking for it again. I was talking to my son about this. My son, I'm a bonus boy, my stepson were both simultaneously or both came in yesterday morning and, you know, said they had a horrible night's sleep. And I was like, it's one of the only things I think is not miraculous about the human body is when it needs to sleep the most, it can't, whether it's a stinking mm. flu, whether it's, you know, depression, anxiety. So what, started working that took you away from that insomnia again was it the plant medicine were there other elements that were were working uh a lot of it for me is exercise so you know i've kind of been in the fitness world in some way for 20 some years exercise has always been a big part of my life and when he died that dropped off pretty drastically i mean i tried to go to the gym I just, I couldn't find, my body hurt so bad. I finally, you know, here we are almost four years later, I'm starting to find myself in a better routine and a better pattern of working out. It doesn't look exactly the way it used to look, but exercise in general just allows me to be more tired, breaking my body down a little bit. Um, also, being a little bit more routine. So in my early grief, I mean, every day was a little bit like, well, what am I going to do today? I don't know. It could be anything, everything, nothing. Uh, I have a little bit more of what looks like a typical day as for most people. Um, but also when I get really in my head, I brain dump everything on a piece of paper before I get into bed just to kind of get all those thoughts out. Um, and then I've also experimented with, um, I went to kind of this organic food store and using a magnesium roller on my foot. And so you're like, I don't know if this is a placebo or if this really works, but she's like, it's magnesium and it's a roller and you roll it on the bottom of your feet. And I was like, well, that's weird. But at this point, I'll try anything. And I'll tell you what, it works like a champ. <laughs> so does it work? Is it placebo? I don't know. I don't care because I sleep. Brilliant. I'm glad I asked that question. I've never heard of that. I've yeah. never tried that myself. Yeah, now. try it. <laughs> if you can't find one, I'll send you one because the girl makes them here in my town locally. Okay. So, Fantastic. But. Thank you. All right. Well, then, yeah. so I, this year, um, I, I did the Chad, I think the first year and then last year again with my son. Um, he actually skipped school to do it and then uh, earned a Smoothie King at the end of it. But, <laughs> but yes. I normally do it in my fire pants and a 60-pound vest and it's not to, to, you know, PR plus and post videos of yourself. It's just if there's something that firefighters should be good at, it's climbing stairs. So I'm like, okay, I need to up it a little bit yeah. to, you know, to add that little extra suck. This year, I'm actually going to be in Portugal visiting family. So I'm hoping to maybe find a Portuguese fire station or something and, and get some of those guys in or my, my, my brother's trainer that lives out there. But so I'll have to kind of send you a video from Portugal. But for people listening, it. tell me about the event and then tell me what you've got lined up for this year. Okay, so Chad 1000X is the workout named after my husband. It's a uh, 1000 step ups on a 20 inch box, 
guys use a 45 pound pack, uh, or you can scale. So you can do less weight. You can do a lower box. You can do no weight, uh, do a small little step. It's, it's inclusive to anybody and everybody that wants to go for it. You can also do it with a friend. So split the reps. You each do 500. Uh, it's really just spending some time with, with, for, for people doing it with weight, with that weight on your back or just your body weight for some of us is plenty. And just where your mind goes, it's going to take you most likely a little over an hour to complete. And uh, where does your headspace go in that time? And also giving a little bit of of love to our military and the things that they see and go through. Um, so we started this. We're partnered with GoRuck. Uh, you can register at chad1000x.com. That will be registration goes live September 1st, um, which is also my birthday. But it is the start of Suicide Awareness Month. Ironically, it's like I was born for this. Um, and then you can really execute this anywhere. So in the past few years, people take to their gym, whether it's CrossFit, Orange Theory, Boot 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 camp or burn boot camp or anything in between you can do it in your garage with a buddy um and we fundraise i have started my own nonprofit. it's called the step up foundation the funds from chad 1000x go to the step up foundation and the step up foundation uses funds to give to programs that treat tbi ptsd and blast wave injury as well as supporting the family members lost left behind we do have three live events for Chad 1000X this year, and those will be uh, November 5th. We are in Jacksonville, Florida at the GORUCK headquarters. So if you're around, please come over. I'd love to meet you. We'll be November 12th in San Diego at CrossFit Humanity. So if you're in the San Diego area, that'd be awesome. And then November 19th, we'll be in Virginia Beach um, at Anderson's. And that's generally our biggest event. So you'll come out, you'll see a hundred boxes in the parking lot, which is pretty awesome. And then in Virginia, we have an after event where it's a private dinner for the Step Up Foundation at the same location. Beautiful. And which of those days is the day that most people do it? I don't know, to be totally fair. I mean, Here's the deal. Chad died October 29th. And with most named workouts, people generally execute those on the anniversary of their death. However, we want this workout to be the staple benchmark workout for Veterans Day, much like you hear about the Michael Murphy workout on Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a way that we honor those lost uh, serving our country. Veterans Day is a way for us to honor all veterans. And so doing a workout like Chad 1000X to bring awareness to mental health and suicide can speak volumes to our men and women that are still with us in uniform and a way to say, like, we really understand and we see you and we're here for you. So we always try to target November 11th. Um, knowing, though, that's a Friday, most people are going to book in that on a weekend. We know that for some of you gym owners, holding a large scale event during a weekday is difficult. So you're going to find most people do it on the weekends. But like I said, there'll be gyms hosting it around the country as well. They're reaching out to us regularly. Uh, look on the Chad 1000X website for more info on that. And come and see us in the live events, Jacksonville, Florida, San Diego, or Virginia Beach. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I just want to thank you so much. It's been another great conversation. It was an honor to finally meet face to face. Um, but to, to kind of, you know, 
here where you are now. As I said, you know, sadly, some people get stuck in an event through a lot of people's eyes, whether they survived 9-11 or, you know, you know, Mogadishu or whatever it was, but that's one tiny moment in, in the timeline that they're at. So to hear where you are now and where you're headed in the van with two dogs and where the kids are going, <laughs> it's been such a great conversation. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thanks. It was great to see you again. I always enjoy talking. We'll see each other at Sandlot next year. Yeah.